You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you in further. You step forward little by little not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in apologetics information. And today, we're not coming from a usual location. We're actually coming from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm here visiting my in-laws, Mike and Debbie Lacona, and I'm actually recording this from Mike's library as we speak. And uh, so if, if you're used to the quality, I hope it's been better with the past couple episodes with the new equipment we've got. It, we're back to a little bit lower level just for today. So if you know it's something different, that's why. My guest today, however, is Dr. Bob Stewart. Now, who is he? He's the Professor of Philosophy and Theology at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, where he also serves as Greer Heard Professor of Faith and Culture. He has offered or edited several books. He is also general editor of the Studies in Christian Apologetics monograph series from B&H Academic. He has also published articles in numerous books and journals. And finally, he's also spoken in university settings in North America and Europe. He and his wife, Marilyn, have three adult children. So, uh, Dr. Stewart, welcome to the Deeper Waters podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Nick. Now, would you care to tell my audience they don't know who you are a little bit more about uh, the, who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing? All right. Well, uh, I grew up in the home of a uh, military judge, and uh, so we lived all over the world. And um, and at age 16, I became a believer, and uh, and I uh, decided uh, to share my faith. I thought that's what every Christian ought to do, and it, in fact, it is what every Christian ought to do. And so I immediately began sharing my faith with my friends in high school and, and was able to lead a number of them. Uh, to place their trust in Christ as Savior, and a number of them I was unsuccessful with, and uh, graduated high school, went off to college, and uh, uh, lived in an athletic dormitory, and uh, uh, continued to share my faith, continued to win people to the Lord, and continued not to win some to the Lord, and I I quickly uh, realized the importance of apologetics and linking it to evangelism, particularly going to a state university, uh, living in, in a dorm where uh, uh, a lot of people were blatantly anti-Christian. And uh, so I began to read apologetics, things like uh, Josh McDowell and, and so forth, and uh, and that helped. Uh, but then I began to realize that, uh, that um, not everyone would uh, respond to that sort of apologetic or to one approach only, and that, uh, that I really needed to be uh, better grounded in philosophy if I was going to be an effective apologist and evangelist. And so then when I went to seminary, I focused in uh, philosophy and, uh, and theology and uh, earned a PhD in that area. And uh, so I tell people that I became a philosopher because I wanted to be a better apologist, and I became an apologist because I wanted to be a better 
evangelist, and so the philosophy is really important in uh, in sharing your faith and being effective as a soul winner. Yeah, uh, Doctor. So that's the that's the long and the short of it. Dr. Stewart, as it is, uh, we've just had a a special guest walk in the studio who I understand is a big fan of the Deeper Waters podcast and really thinks that apologetics is extremely important. So I thought I might let him say a few words here. All right. Well, hey, Bob, Mike Lacona. I'm a big fan of yours, too. Well, the feeling's mutual, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well. and I'm sure you had a good Christmas. I we did. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. Had a glorious one. And uh, I know Nick's been really looking forward to this uh, conference and, and looking forward to this uh, interview, you interviewing you. So this is great. Well, it's just too bad that Nick can't see me in person to see how handsome I really am. <laughs> <laughs> I understand you do go by handsome Bob. <laughs> well, that is sort of my shtick. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You guys have a, a great time. Okay. And thanks, okay. Mike, for dropping by here. All right. Now, Mike mentioned a conference there and there. Mm-hmm. Some people might be listening and wondering, what <laughs> conference is he talking about? Well, he's talking about our Defend the Faith conference. And that's something that we started in 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2008, um, uh, NOBTS started the Institute for Christian Apologetics, and uh, I've been the director of it since its inception. Mm-hmm. And um, and so um, we started that up in 2009, uh, January 2009. We did our first uh, uh, Defend the Faith conference, and uh, it, it goes a week, so it's it's longer than most apologetics conferences. It's headquartered on a on a uh, seminary campus, and so it's a little different in that respect. And we start on a Sunday evening, and then we go through uh, up till Friday noon. Mm-hmm. And uh, so one of the things that um, that we've done from the beginning is uh, we have both plenary sessions and breakout sessions. And so we have a plenary session every evening, and then we have uh, two plenary sessions each morning. And we have worship in the in the plenary sessions. In the evenings, we have a, a fantastic Christian band, the Jake Smith Band. Uh, they've been on a label with uh, that Michael W. Smith started. Uh, they played at Jazz Fest. We take our music very seriously in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're a tremendous worship band. Yeah. And uh, and then we uh, and we've invited guests through the through the years. Uh, and as the program has grown, uh, we've been able to invite more guests and have more breakout sessions. But we've had people like Michael Kona, people mm-hmm. like Gary Habermas, uh, William Lane Craig, uh, Doug Brodheis, Paul Copan, uh, James Walker has been part of every single Defend the Faith conference uh, that we've ever done, whether it be a summer conference or a, um, a January conference. And, and uh, I think he and and myself and uh, he, me, he, and um, Mike Edens are the only people uh, that, that can say that. Uh, Rob Bowman has been a, an integral part of it. Uh, we, we had Nancy uh, um, Piercy. Nancy Piercy last uh, last year. Uh, we've just been blessed. Uh, we've been Mary Jo Sharp several times. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean McDowell several times. Greg Kokel, Brent Kunkel. 
Uh, we've been blessed to have a number of great uh, uh, speakers at our conferences through the years, and that's just naming a handful of people uh, that we've had teach and defend the faith. Uh, it goes a week, as I said, and, and we'll have anywhere from six to eight breakout sessions going at the same time in the afternoon. So we'll have three sessions in the afternoon where you can choose from six to eight different speakers and topics and so forth. And, uh, and we record it all. Uh, we stream the plenaries uh, live uh, with, um, uh, through Tactical Faith, Matt Burford and his crew, and they do a, a wonderful job. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we've got a lot of material out from the conference on YouTube and, and on the Tactical Faith site and so forth. And uh, every student who comes, uh, every conference attendee uh, gets a, a recording uh, or, or code to access recordings of every moment of the conference. So mm-hmm. it's something in the neighborhood of 100 hours of apologetics, teaching, mm-hmm. and so forth. And uh, basing it in New Orleans uh, is not a problem to do it in January because our weather in January is better than uh, than most places. Uh, we, we can't compete with Hawaii or Southern California or something like that, but certainly we can compete with places like uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, where Tim McGrew, who's a frequent speaker, I'll be speaking this year, mm-hmm. uh, is headquartered, or, or someplace like uh, Ithaca, New York, where my son is, uh, will be speaking this year as well. So it, it's just been a wonderful time. Uh, every year it, is, it has grown. Uh, it's really becoming a um, big conference for uh, for collegiates. And uh, in the early days, uh, it was primarily a conference for NOBPS students. And our students still can earn uh, class credit through it, either at an undergraduate level or a graduate level. And uh, and that's great. They, they come to the conference. They don't have to do any pre-work. And then, uh, then they have assignments that they're due, have due dates to turn in uh, throughout the spring semester. And so it's a great way to, uh, to gain uh, training. And so we offer a number of classes uh, that, that jive with the lectures and additional reading and, and viewing assignments and so forth. And, uh, but through the years, we've seen it go from being uh, predominantly New Orleans seminary students and some collegians to where now it's probably predominantly collegiate students and some New Orleans seminary students. And it's gone from running around 130 who do the entire week uh, up into the hundreds uh, who do the entire week. And then the evening sessions uh, are free to the public. So we will have church groups come in uh, from the area. And we always try... uh, to get um, our speakers, uh, as many as want to come in early, uh, to speak in churches in the area. So like uh, next weekend, uh, Tim McGrew will be speaking in a local church. Doug Rodeheis will be speaking mm-hmm. in a local church. James Walker and Rob Bowman will be speaking in local churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keith Lofton uh, from uh, Southwestern Seminary will be speaking in a local church. And that promotes the conference as well because we do have a passion uh, not only to train collegians and, and to train seminary students, but to equip uh, people in the churches. And, and, uh, and so we, we've uh, forged a good relationship with local pastors. 
Now, you've said N-O-B-T-S a number of times. That's New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, right? That's, that's right. That's, that's just an abbreviation uh, for a mouthful, which is New Orleans Baptist Theological mm-hmm. Seminary. Well, could you, well tell, is, could you tell my audience some about the seminary? Sure. Uh, we are a Southern Baptist Seminary. Uh, there are six Southern Baptist Seminaries, and... Uh, and we've we've been in existence uh, since the time we were founded. I think originally our name was not uh, uh, New Orleans Baptist Seminary. I think it was something like uh, Baptist Bible Institute. But um, between the two, I believe we've been in existence for over 95 years at this point in time. And uh, uh, we're one of the larger seminaries uh, in North America. And uh, uh, and uh, we have over uh, 3,500 students, uh, whether they would be uh, doctoral students, master's students, undergraduate students, or certificate students. Uh, we, we offer a number of degrees in apologetics. Uh, we have uh, uh, two MAs in apologetics. We have a 36-hour professional MA, and then we have a 50-hour um, more academic track MA. And, uh, and it may be a little more than 50, depending on what kind of prerequisites you come from. We presume uh, that students in that track will have uh, a year of uh, New Testament Greek. We presume that they will have a year of, uh, of Hebrew, that sort of thing. So it could be a little bit longer than 50, depending on the sort of student that we have applied for. It, it has a writing uh, uh, criterion. Uh, like, like a thesis, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's a very heavy academic uh, degree. We also have the Master of Divinity degree with an emphasis in Christian apologetics. And the MDiv, of course, is the, it's the Cadillac of, of uh, theological degrees at the, at the master's level. And then we basically weave into it our apologetics <laughs> degree. And so it's got to be heavy in biblical languages, it's going to be heavy in church history, theology, philosophy, and also uh, practical ministry classes like preaching and missions and so forth, but also have around uh, 36 to 40 hours of of, uh, apologetics. We require all of our apologetics uh, majors, whether they're MA or MDiv, to take uh, logic, formal logic, uh, to take the problem of evil to take philosophy of religion, uh, to, uh, uh, to take the, those sorts of classes, uh, apologetic method. And then uh, they, may, they may want to emphasize areas like uh, cults and new religions or world religions. Uh, we have a particularly strong program in Islamic studies. Uh, Michael Edens, who is uh, the associate director of the Institute for Christian Apologetics and also our associate dean, the graduate faculty uh, has 25 years of experience as a missionary in Egypt and Iraq. Uh, so he, he lived for five years in, in uh, Baghdad and then uh, for 20, around 20 years in Cairo. He speaks two dialects of Arabic. He can read the Quran, uh, not a translation, but, but the Quran. And uh, so he is he's a valuable uh, teacher for us, Paige Brooks, one of our faculty members uh, in that area, uh, has served uh, as a chaplain in Iraq and also 
uh, knows Arabic. So uh, it's um, it's a, it's an interesting uh, uh, world that we live in and, and that I teach in. And, and then we also uh, have a, a master's uh, with an emphasis in philosophy of religion. And so they can study things like epistemology and metaphysics and, and other um, philosophical topics. <clears throat> now, so that's... Go on. Um, but that, you know, that's basically uh, uh, New Orleans Seminary. You know, we're, we're a Southern Baptist Seminary. Um, uh, our purpose is to uh, to train people for ministry, and uh, and so we, uh, we we take that very seriously. Mm. And uh, and so that you know, we we have that uh, going for us. Now, getting to the conference, what role exactly do you play with? The conference every year. Are you the organizer, or what exactly? Well, um, basically, the institute and the conference were my baby. Uh, they were my ideas, and uh, and so I've been there, kind of fathering the whole thing through through the years. Uh, after last year, uh, I handed it off to Ryan Putman, who is one of our faculty members. Uh, Ryan is a former assistant of mine, and uh, uh, he was my teaching assistant uh, uh, when he was a master's and Ph.D. student. Um, he, he's written a bang-up dissertation uh, in, uh, in hermeneutics, philosophical hermeneutics and theological method. Uh, it's going to come out with Fortress Press this year. I cannot remember the title of it at the moment. Uh, but it, it is world-class uh, quality stuff. And uh, Ryan is about 30 years old. Uh, he's a brilliant young guy, uh, very adept with uh, technology as well as the classical disciplines. And, uh, and he is going to be directing it this year. He's assistant professor of theology and culture at the seminary. And, uh, and so I'm sort of handing... Uh, that role off. I'm still directing the institute. Uh, the institute is is larger than uh, than the than the Defend the Faith Conference, uh, for instance. It, it houses our Greer Heard Point Counterpoint uh, program, which I'm the director of that as well. And that's an interesting sort of uh, of apologetic and cultural endeavor uh, that's been going on for longer than. Uh, than the Defend the Faith Conference. It began in 2005, and uh, we, we bring in an evangelical Christian uh, to dialogue or debate uh, with a non-evangelical. It may be, a, may be an atheist, maybe an agnostic, maybe a liberal Christian, um, but it won't be an evangelical Christian. And then we have uh, second-day speakers uh, that uh, from both sides of the aisle who um, make presentations or read papers, and then they are responded to by the two uh, speakers from uh, the debate partners from the night before. So it starts with a two-hour uh, debate or dialogue on Friday night and then runs into some papers that mm -hmm. uh, go into the afternoon on Saturday. And so we've done great things there. Um, we, the first year we had N.T. Wright and John Dominic Crossan uh, dialogue on the resurrection of Jesus, and then the next day we had speakers like Gary Habermas, uh, William Lane Craig, uh, Doug Guybet, uh, and, uh, and so forth. Uh, Craig Evans uh, talk about the resurrection of Jesus, 
and uh, then the next year we did it on intelligent design. Mm-hmm. And we actually did it in Atlanta because, uh, or Marietta, because of uh, Katrina had wiped out our campus, and uh, and so uh, it, it featured uh, William Dempsey and Michael Roos. And then the following year uh, was the future of atheism, and it featured Daniel Dennett and Alistair McGrath. And then the year after that. Uh, was uh, the reliability, textual reliability of the New Testament. It featured Bart Ehrman and Dan Wallace. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we had, yeah, so we had a number of great uh, conferences. This last year uh, was uh, William Lane Craig and Sean Carroll on God and Cosmology. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the first year we streamed it and brought Tactical Faith in to do that. And, uh, and we don't know how many people... Uh, saw the debate live, but we do know that over 10,000 devices logged on around the world and watched it. We don't know how many people are watching the devices or what they were, um, but uh, basically we were seen in, in every country on Earth other than North Korea and uh, a couple of places in the interior of Africa. Um, so that was, that was kind of a groundbreaking uh, moment. For us. So uh, the Institute for Christian Apologetics houses all of our degrees and, uh, and all of our programs, um, but we do a lot more than just the Defend the Faith Conference, but I think mm-hmm. the Defend the Faith Conference is one of the most important things that we do. Yeah, I did just do some looking up in Ryan Putman's book, I think it's called In Defense of Doctrine, Evangelicalism, Theology, and Scripture. That sound That's right? That's 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 what it is. Now it wasn't the title of the dissertation, obviously. Uh, dissertations tend to have pretty clunky sounding titles. So. Oh yes. But uh, now, yeah, it's it's going to be a fantastic book. And when you mentioned N.T. Wright and John Dominic Cross, and then further when you mentioned uh, Dan Wallace and Bart Ehrman, I know those two mm-hmm. have been put out in book form also. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we got six of the of the previous career herds uh, that have been published uh, by Fortress, and uh, we publish every year with with Fortress. We we we're, we've run a little bit behind, and that's one of the reasons why uh, Ryan is uh, stepping up and and directing the conference this year is to free me up uh, to do more writing and publishing. Now, when we're looking on the page at the list of speakers. After, I think it's important to point out for fans of Deeper Wireless podcast that not every speaker is listed on the page because there are going to be several breakout sessions where there will be other speakers that aren't listed, right? Okay. Well, like you? Yep. <laughs> yep. For, for anyone yeah. who... Uh, uh, you will be speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son uh, is speaking. Uh, Ray Stewart. Uh, Ray is a, a PhD student in philosophy at Cornell University, mm-hmm. and uh, he will be uh, lecturing on the problem of evil. Uh, let's see who else is. Uh, I'm, I'm having to go to the page and to see who's who's not there. This is kind of like a quiz. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. Um, Hold on. Well, Fred Smith. 
speaking, listed in our in our speakers. And uh, let's see who else. Well, off the top of my head, I think it's pretty much all of them except the two of you. I'm sure that we're not. Uh, let's see, yeah, Justin Langford is on there from from Louisiana College, and uh, Paige Brooks, Mike Miller, Steve Lemke, Jeff Riley, um, Keith Lofton, Brad Green, Tala Anderson, Mark Rathel. Mark has been very faithful. Uh, Mark teaches at uh, Baptist College of Florida and has taught for us numerous times. Um, yeah. Sarah Ankenman will be teaching this year, and this is a first time for her. Um, she's uh, a faithful presence on the Christian Apologetics Alliance. Tom Gilson, mm -hmm. our National Field Director for Rashio Christie, will be teaching a lot uh, this year at the Defense Conference, and we're tickled to have him. Uh, Tim McGrill is a regular. And, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I have to say one of the highlights, honestly, for me coming down this year and speaking is getting to meet Tim McGrew will be just incredible. Yeah. Well, one of the things is that... Hello? Dr. Stewart, we... Yeah. Yeah, yeah you yeah. dropped out for a little bit there. Could you start what you were saying again? Uh, one of the things that I think speaks really well of Faith Conference is that we have speakers who want to come back mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, who who uh, will email me and say, yeah, so when are you going to have us back? And uh, mm -hmm. um, people like uh, Paul Copan yeah. and Doug Grothuis and so forth, uh, you know, major, major apologists uh, and scholars uh, and so that's you know just wonderful, and uh, you know so we 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 never had somebody say well I, I don't want to do that again, uh, and of course uh, it, it's New Orleans helps you know we we bring people in and and uh, treat them right and feed them right you know they gain five pounds while they're here in New Orleans but we don't feel like if you successfully visited New Orleans if you don't put weight on. You might have me be the first unsuccessful visitor at that point because I hardly ever gain any weight. But, but for our interest in that, yes, I am going to be speaking at a breakout session this year at the conference. Right. So if you're a fan of Deeper Waters and you you want to see me and you're at the conference, please come by and do so. And if for some reason you don't get to go to my talk, come by and see me anyway. I'll want to meet you. And I plan on consistently blogging about my experience, and especially when I get back. Well, what I'm defending the faith mm -hmm. is that uh, can physically go to, but um, we give you all of it in a recorded form. Mm -hmm. So anyone who wants to the conference, if if they're faced with the with having to choose between uh, Tim McGrew and uh, Gary Habermas and, and uh, James Walker speaking at the same time, well, they can, uh, they don't have to, uh, they do have to choose which room to go into 
but they won't miss out on hearing what James Walker has to say or what Rob Bowman has to say or what Tim McGrew is saying. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to put all of that in their hands. And if they are, if they are collegiate students, if they're enrolled in, in a university somewhere, um, they don't have to pay any registration fee. The, the conference costs $120 for the full week. But for collegians, uh, we waive that and scholarship them. Now, if they come in, they still have to eat and they still have to stay someplace. Yeah. Um, but because uh, we have such a passion to, uh, to train collegians, and particularly Rashio Christie uh, collegians and staff people, uh, we will even uh, give them a, a deeper stipend uh, for room and board. Uh, not, not full room and board, but it, it helps, uh, I think, $40 additional uh, in that sense as well. So uh, we really want uh, collegians and young Christians to come and be trained in their faith because we think that in this day and age it's just spiritually irresponsible not to be trained in apologetics. If, uh, if we're ever going to be effective in, uh, in uh, evangelizing this world in missions and, uh, and sharing uh, the Christian gospel, uh, we must train people uh, to respond to the challenges uh, that we face apologetically these days. So that's our, that's our belief, and, and we put our money where our mouth is. Dr. Stewart, why must we do that, though? I mean, isn't it enough for us to meet together in our groups and such and just say what the Bible says and give the gospel and, you know, God can handle the rest, right? Well, I do believe that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God uh, can work in remarkable ways uh, apart uh, from our human training and so forth and so on. So I don't want to to diminish uh, that aspect of it at all. Mm -hmm. But in, in the Bible, we read things like always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who gives, asks for a reason for the hope that you have within you. Apparently, uh, Peter recognized that just sharing the gospel wasn't uh, going to be enough in each and every case. In fact, when you share the gospel, people are going to push back sometimes, mm-hmm. and they're going to have objections, or they're going to have questions, or they're going to misunderstand uh, what it is that you're saying, and and then you need to be prepared. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, if we take the Bible seriously, we ought to share it. But we also ought to see that it is saying uh, to us that we need to be trained apologetically. We need to have a reason for the hope that is within. We need to be able to respond to challenges mm-hmm. or questions or misunderstandings. And, uh, and, and that's, that's a must in this day and age. Mm-hmm. And so absolutely... Uh, it, it's not one or the other; it's both and. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I think you can't be a biblical Christian in the sense of living out what the Bible teaches and not uh, be trained apologetically. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not we're not saying this on top of the Bible. We're saying this is this is part and parcel of what taking Scripture seriously entails, and so. Um, Yes, we don't want to diminish uh, the Bible as the Word of God, 
the gospel as the way to um, to life eternal. Um, but part of, of taking it, those claims seriously is apologetics. Now, you keep saying in this day and age, it's essential mm-hmm. that we do this. What, what's so unique about this day and age that apologetics has suddenly become essential? Okay. Um, I don't think that we're unique. I don't think there's ever been a time where apologetics didn't matter. But I think we face some particular uh, historical challenges today, mm-hmm. such as the new atheism. Uh, we have outspoken enemies of Christianity and the gospel, people like Richard Dawkins, people like Sam Harris, um, and so forth and so on, uh, who are challenging uh, Christianity as, uh, as, number one, as being rational. They say Christian belief is not rational. Uh, number two, as being, as being moral. They will say that uh, uh, Christianity and, and religious faith in general uh, have, have caused a great deal of evils in this world. And so uh, we, we face these sorts of challenges from the new atheist. Uh, we face challenges from people uh, who question uh, the legitimacy of our Gospels and the, and the New Testament, people like Bart Ehrman, uh, who is a friend of mine, uh, but with whom I had great disagreement. Um, yeah, so so it seems like every year, two years, Mark publishes another book. And his mm-hmm. book, uh, Misquoting Jesus, uh, uh, questioned uh, the textual reliability of the New Testament. Uh, God's problem uh, questioned uh, how how the Bible treats the uh, the problem of evil, uh, and and other books that he's releasing. It seems like on a regular basis, uh, forged. You know, can we really be certain uh, that, that Paul wrote all the, all the books of the New Testament that, that we claim that he, that he wrote, that Peter wrote, the books that we claim that he wrote, and so forth and so on. And, um, and so we, we have uh, issues from agnostic uh, New Testament scholars or, or uh, skeptical biblical scholars, uh, like my, my good friend John Dominic Crossan, um, who uh, was the co-chair of the Jesus Seminar, and, and thanks Jesus, uh, uh, never never uh, was uh, buried after he was crucified, those sorts of things. And Bart recently has taken that mm-hmm. up. In fact, in fact uh, the year after this coming year, our career Earth Forum uh, is going to be on, on that question, and we're going to have Bart Ehrman back again, and he'll debate uh, with... Um, um, <laughs> I just forgot his name. Uh, New Testament scholar from Australia, Michael. Michael Bird. Michael Bird. Thank you very much for serving as my memory. As I'm <laughs> stuffed with Christmas stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Michael Bird and Bart are going to debate, and of course they've released uh, competing uh, books. Bart's mm-hmm. book is is how Jesus became God, and Michael's is how God became Jesus. And so um, these sorts of challenges make uh, the challenge of Islam. Uh, radical Islam, but also just um, non-radical, but very evangelistic Islam. Um, and so um, we always have a, a course in, in Islam, and we've had great speakers uh, come, come for that. Next year we're hoping to have Nabil Qureshi as one of our guests at Defend the Faith. 
You know, so uh, there are particular things that happen at, are happening at this time in, in history. And, and we're not unique in that sense. Uh, you, you look at the 16th century, there were particular historical challenges. You look in the 19th century, there were particular historical challenges. At each and every point, there had to be an apologetic response uh, to them. But, but I think maybe those that we face today are intensified uh, because of the Internet. Oh, yes. Uh, they're intensified because of social media. They're intensified because of our technology. Mm -hmm. And uh, and but all of these things and the internet, social media, technological advances mean that that our apologetic response can be intensified and spread more broadly. I mean, who who would have thought when I was a seminary student in the late 80s and 90s um, that I could be talking on the phone and you could be uh, recording it and then podcasting it? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. that, that's you know. Uh, that would have just been another universe uh, when mm -hmm. I started seminary 20-something years ago. I, I was really waiting for you to mention the Internet there because I think that is the unique challenge of our day and age because a parent could say, well, my son, he's not going to go to college, and so I don't really have to worry about being equipped. He's not going to face those kinds of challenges. And I say, you're only deluding yourself. In this case, because all you have to do is picture a young man, let's say 13 or 14, sitting in at in his bedroom on his computer, and he's watching YouTube, and say he's watching his favorite Christian band do a song. And what's that recommended video on the side? Ten questions every Christian should be able to answer. Mm -hmm. And all he has to do is click something like that, and his journey to apostasy has begun at that point. Right. And, you know, it, it's just, um, it, it's so sad. Uh, I, I will frequently have uh, parents uh, contact me and say, um, you know, my son was raised in a Christian home. He went off to a university, some, sometimes even to Christian universities. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and now he's doubting his faith or he's, he's abandoned his faith. I mm -hmm. uh, can't. And would you be willing to meet with him? Would you? Could we come and, and talk to you? These sorts of things. <clears throat> and of course, I'm willing to do that. Um, but you know, there's some truth in the saying: an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Oh yes. Uh, it, it's far easier to train our children and our young people correctly, and uh, and keep them in the faith than it is to regain them after they've wandered away. Now, that doesn't mean that we, we don't ever see this happen. I, you know, I personally have been involved in, in seeing atheists come to faith, seeing mm -hmm. Muslims come to faith, these sorts of things. But um, the percentage that we, that we win back, that we lose, is, is far uh, fewer than, than, than I would like to see it be. And um, you know, so we need to be training uh, our people all of our people uh, in, in apologetics. And, and actually, that, that is one of the things that, that we do at the church that I pastor, is that there is, a, there is an intentional emphasis on apologetics uh, in, the, in our youth group, uh, from the pulpit, that sort of thing. And, uh, and so, uh, 
And of course, we have, uh, I'm the pastor, Ryan Putman is the associate pastor. Uh, you know, so we, we are very intentional in how we uh, teach and preach yeah. at the church that I pastor. Let me ask you this, since you pastor a church and you're mm-hmm. regularly putting a project information out there for people, do you find that this drives people away and you know, it's like, this stuff is too hard for me and they don't want to come back? Or do the people just accept it and they, in fact, like it? What What's your the response you see? Um, well, we're a growing church. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're not uh, we're not growing as fast as uh, Joel Osteen's church, uh, <laughs> but um, but uh, if you can call that a Christian church, um, but we are uh, we we have more than doubled mm-hmm. in the in the six years that I've been there, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, so yeah, I, I think I think. It, doesn't drive people away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, that in fact, we we have a young man who who came uh, to the seminary first, and then came to uh, to Ames Boulevard for a pastor uh, because he heard me uh, speak at a collegiate conference on on apologetic topics, and uh, and he came from Minnesota uh, to New Orleans uh, for that. Um, so, and, and and we're not. The church that I pastor is not a university kind of church. It's not a church that's filled with with PhDs and and scholars and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on the west bank of New Orleans. Um, uh, we're we're a very um, limited church economically. Um, uh, we're we're not in a hoity-toity neighborhood. Uh, there are white-collar churches and blue-collar churches, and there are no-collar churches. And uh, we're hoping to move up to blue-collar at some point. Uh, we, we live in a, in a mixed race. Our church is situated in a mixed race area. And so our congregation uh, is diverse. It's, uh, uh, you know, it is not full of professional people. Uh, it's just average people. Um, but committed believers, and uh, who who have taken this on and are learning this material and appreciating it, and so uh, typically what we will do is we will preach through um, uh, through a book, and then we will preach a doctrine, and then through a book and then through a doctrine, and uh, and so we teach uh, theology uh, at a pretty deep. Mm-hmm. Deep level. We taught on the doctrine of God uh, for about nine months, and uh, and uh, we called it God stuff. Uh, we, we we taught on apologetics uh, for about a year and a half, and, and called it uh, the Areopagus Project, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing. And then we then we just regularly teach apologetics, whether it's in Sunday school, whether it's in our Wednesday night classes. And uh, and then we, we talk about issues that come up in the text, uh, whether, whether they're uh, textual issues or Trinitarian uh, verses, uh, you know, passages that would teach, teach the deity of Christ, the deity mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit, um, these sorts of things. Uh, we preach for a month on the doctrine of the Trinity on Sunday mornings. Um, not very many Baptist churches that do that. Uh, but 
I think pastors are needlessly concerned that it would be too hard or it would drive people away or it would be too dry. Mm -hmm. um, this stuff is, is important stuff, and, and people want to know these things. Uh, I think we sell our people in a few short when we say, well, they, it would be over their head or they can't, they can't understand it. If, mm -hmm. if it's over their head, it's because you're not communicating it well enough. And if you're not communicating it well enough, that's probably a sign that you haven't learned it well enough. And um, it's, it may be an indictment on, on our pastors and churches more than it tells us anything about doctrine or apologetics. Yeah. Um, and you were saying earlier about uh, how we need to be trained apologetically. That's something I was wanting to get some clarification on because people like you and I for instance we could sit down and read apologetics books all day long and be absolutely thrilled and there are some people who say hey look I see this is important I see I need to say but I mean, but, I, mean I, I just don't want to make it my life focus to be doing apologetics mm -hmm. so does that mean that I can't be trained apologetically no um, I do think I do think it's true that different people have different personality types mm -hmm. Right. Uh, when I was, um, um, it was about 12 years ago now, maybe even longer, maybe 14 years ago, uh, in one of our faculty workshops, uh, we had a professor who was a specialist in educational techniques, um, who's now on faculty with us, uh, who came from another seminary, another seminary at that time, and, and taught on uh, different learning styles, and it, it really was a fascinating um, couple of days for me to, to, to sit under this guy who was uh, very well trained in this area. His name was Ricky Yount, and uh, he, he, he basically said there are three types of people, thinkers, feelers, and doers, and you don't train a thinker the way you train a feeler or a doer, or a feeler the way you train a, a doer or a thinker. And, and so forth. And so he brought out how you recognize different uh, styles, learning styles and personalities, and how you teach to address those groups. And, and then he said, um, he said, um, so I've described thinkers, feelers, and doers. So if you think you're a thinker, get up and move over to this corner of the room. If you feel like you're a feeler, go to that corner of the room. And uh, if 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 you have, if you're not in either one, just come over here. <laughs> and so it split us up into thinkers, feelers, and doers. And then we numbered off. And uh, this remember this is a New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary faculty workshop, so it's our faculty. Mm -hmm. Numbered off, and it was almost one third, one third, one third. And that was a startling, eye-opening moment for me because I realized. But if I teach people as I like to be taught, or if I teach them only as I like to be taught, then typically I'll only be speaking to one third of the people in the room. Mm -hmm. And and so that became, that was a moment that really made me think about okay, so how do I teach philosophy? How do I teach theology? How do I teach apologetics in a way that will connect? with as many people as possible. And, and so what I came to see was that I have to tell more stories. And, and, and so the, the feelers, they kind of get into the storytelling more, more than the points. 
the thinkers get the points more than the stories. And, uh, and I need to challenge people. I, I, I need to have a so what moment to it. So <clears throat> one of the things I think that we've done uh, a poor job of as apologists is, is assuming that everybody is like us. And mm -hmm. typically the apologists tend to be pretty heavy in the thinking dimension, uh, not the feeling, not the, right. not the, not the doing. And so we, we, we do need to be holistic in how we teach apologetics, but apologetics can be taught to anybody. Mm -hmm. um, you may need to uh, tell, tell more stories than you do. You may need to make more challenges, have, have more tasks out there. Uh, but people get it. And, um, you know, and so I think, I think there's a failure. I think we've failed in some ways to, uh, to be holistic in how we approach the task. One aspect that I find always helps me with this is, I mean, we had Mike Lacona here earlier, and he's definitely in the category of a thinker. His daughter, mm -hmm. my wife, though, I think, is much more in the category of a feeler. And so wow. when I'm going to think about an idea and such and see it, how it works, I say, Allie, can you come here? Okay, let me explain this to you, see what you think. And if it says, like, I don't get it, then I think, okay, I need to do some work on this one. Just, oh, that makes sense. Right. Okay, now I'm ready to get this one out to the public a little bit more. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, I think I think that just uh, mm -hmm. illustrates what I was saying. And I think that this is hopefully becoming more and more prevalent at all of our churches. I'm pretty much convinced that if your church isn't doing anything apologetics-related, it's on its way out the door. It's, it's going to die soon. And at our exactly. church, for instance, we've got a program I've talked about this form of the podcast, but at the start of a service, they play this little thing because our church meets in a movie theater. I play some of the screens and say, hey, if you have a question during the service, text it in to this number. Our pastor will come out at the end and he'll answer the question. And he does that. And yeah. sometimes he might say, this question is a bit too difficult right now. It goes into a lot of detail. I'm going to make a web video and put it up later this week so I can answer this question in fuller detail. And I think that's absolutely essential because too many churches are turning away questioners today, and that's only creating apostates. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, when I go on university campuses, uh, they will text questions in and so forth. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and people will ask questions uh, via text mm -hmm. uh, that, they, that they won't ask, stand, that they won't stand up and ask in the room. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> you know, so again, you know, technology can, uh, can be a challenge, but it can also be a, be a blessing. Yeah. One way it also makes it a challenge in our apologetics endeavors day is that ideas that scholarship dispensed with decades and centuries ago, they managed to always find new life on the Internet. And unfortunately, many of our young people, they don't know how to discriminate when they're looking at claims online. They don't know how to do the research and say, is this true or is this false? They just go ahead and believe it. Anyway, even many 
people who would normally consider themselves to be great thinkers, they can see something on the internet and say, oh, that must be true, and go off of it. I'm thinking, especially, for instance, one of my favorite things to interact with are people who, for instance, will say Jesus never existed and he's copied mm-hmm. from pagan deities and Never mind that scholarship put this to death decades ago, but hey, it's out there now, and unfortunately, it is affecting our young people. Right. Yeah, I'll be speaking on that at the conference myself, and I think some others will as well. Mm-hmm. And so, um, <clears throat> yeah, that is that is sort of an annoying challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It, it, it's kind of annoying that you ought to that I have to take some of my time uh, to mm-hmm. refute such a ridiculous idea mm-hmm. <clears throat> but there are people that have uh, worked very hard at uh, at making uh, this ridiculous notion sound rational mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, and so um, so some of us have to, to respond to it it's really an indictment on us as a church that these kinds of claims are even getting off the ground, because I really think if we have been properly training and preparing our church and not fleeing from the academy like I think we did at a certain point, chances are these kinds of claims wouldn't have risen up at all. I agree. One other example I use of this is, since we've talked a little bit about cults and other religions that Back in the 1800s, there was an area in New York called the Burned Over District, and you had these revivers come through that had masses and masses of people converting, but mm-hmm. they weren't given any intellectual foundation whatsoever. And out of that area came both the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. Both of them started right there and Mike I can't but think imagine how different history would be for us today if someone had been able to deal with those issues right then right there and stop them immediately wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to have a session at conference on Mormons or on Jehovah's Witnesses because we could focus that somewhere else right yeah you're absolutely right Mm-hmm. So now, if uh, we're talking with someone who, say, isn't the heavy intellectual type, who isn't going to sit down and be reading all these books, and I say, yeah, but I, I want to be somewhat equipped and say, okay, I'm going to go to a conference, I'm going to at least try and listen to some talks and such, but on a day-to-day basis, what kind of thing can I be doing to help me stay equipped? Okay. Well, I I do think, fundamentally, that the single best thing you can do to be a good apologist is be a good theologian. Mm -hmm. Uh, That uh, that, um, having a grasp of the truth and and putting it together systematically is extremely important. One of the mistakes that most of the that most churches make is that they um, that they don't teach theology, even mm-hmm. though they do preach the Bible. Um, now, obviously, 
liberal churches don't teach theology or preach the Bible, but evangelical churches, many of them preach the Bible, but they don't teach theology. And what I mean is that they don't tell people how to put the teachings of the Bible into a systematic, rational format Mm -hmm. where it can be understood doctrinally and um, consistently. It's sort of like having a a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle, and you go to church, and uh, and somebody takes out one piece of the puzzle and examines it, maybe, maybe gives you three points on that piece of the puzzle, and then puts it back in the box. Mm-hmm. And uh, But what you really need is someone to take all the pieces out uh, to get the frame together and put all the pieces in place so that you see how they fit together. Because if you don't, then somebody can come along and take a handful of pieces out of the box, and you never know. Mm-hmm. Or somebody can come along and put a handful of pieces from another end of the box, and you don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the, the, the single best thing you can do to be an effective apologist is be a good theologian. Know the truth, and then you know what's not the truth. And then you can, if you know why you believe the truth, then you can answer why it is the truth, and why these other things are not the truth. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't ever need to read apologetics or philosophy or, mm-hmm. or biblical studies or anything like that. Um, all of those things go into knowing the truth. Right. And, and apologetics, I, I think apologetics reinforces theology. It's like when you study a foreign language, and I've studied a number of foreign languages, um, you learn your own language better. Um, you know, when you know, when I began uh, studying Greek, I learned a little, I learned English a lot better. Uh, when when we lived in in Germany, mm-hmm. I, I learned English better uh, because I was learning German. Um, and and so uh, it's in the same way uh, you will understand the doctrine of the Trinity better if you interact with Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, right. In, in, to some degree, because they deny the doctrine. Um, and so apologetics and theology are mutually supportive. Um, and, and there you go. You know, when you're talking about this also, and saying you're going to have to read some books, I'm, I'm recording this from Mike's library, and I'm looking up and I see, for instance, on his bookshelf, his book, The Resurrection of Jesus, A New Historiographical Approach, and let's face it, frankly, well, most people in the pews are not going to read something like that. But then I see a few books down there. I see the case of the resurrection of Jesus that he wrote with Gary Habermas. And then down mm-hmm. there I see the case of a real Jesus by Lee Strobar. Those books are books that the average person can read. They're written on a popular level. That's right. That's right. Um you know, I, I think one of the great blessings that that uh, Lee Strobel has given us is introducing mm-hmm. uh, a world of people to a number of great scholars that they wouldn't have interacted with, apart from Lee going out and, and interviewing them mm-hmm. and writing up the interviews. Yep. And uh, and, and and I got to tell you, uh, as a scholar, there's Great stuff. Mm-hmm. Lee Strobel pays for books. Um, you know, it, it's it's 
you know, that's not everything in the case uh, for Jesus that, that is in Gary's books or Mike's books or Tom Wright's books or what, whoever's. Uh, but um, there's a lot of good stuff in those books which will cause people to say, well, you know, maybe I do need to read this Habermas guy or maybe this, maybe this Tom Wright guy is worth reading. And uh, even though their books are really long. Um, and so, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Lee Strobel and what he's done. Yeah, and I've told people on the show before, his book, Case for Christ, I can tell at the book that lit my fire and got me going. Well, there you go. Well, we're at about the halfway point on our show. I want to remind everyone that I am Nick Peters, and this is the Deeper Waters Podcast, seeking to bring you the very best in apologetics and biblical scholarship. Right now, my guest is handsome Dr. Bob Stewart from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and the Defend the Faith Conference that's coming up next January, which, yes, I will be there, so come look for me. But, Dr. Stewart, you've uh, helped arrange the guests for next week, because in January we talk about abortion every episode. And you've arranged a guest, and he's been a speaker at your conference before. Could you tell my audience who the guest is and a bit about him? Sure. Uh, next week's guest will be Jay Watts. Jay is a speaker and writer for uh, a life training institute. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Jay and I have spoken at a number of conferences together. He was at Defend the Faith last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and I have spoken at a number of SALT uh, apologetics conferences that Tactical Faith has put on. Uh, we spoke uh, just last month at, uh, in, um, at the University of Mississippi uh, for their Ratio Christi group. Uh, Jay is one of the best guys in the world on the subject of uh, the case for life and, mm-hmm. uh, and abortion. Uh, he, he's forgotten more about, about about abortion and the issues there than I probably will ever know. Uh, when I hear him speak, I always learn something. And um, Jay is passionate. Uh, he's high energy. Um, he's he's the real deal. Uh, he, he was he has a dramatic uh, testimony about coming uh, to Christ out of atheism. Uh, but but Jay is committed to. Uh, to engaging these issues at, at the deepest level. He speaks on a number of university campuses. Uh, he's spoken in places uh, like Ivy League universities, like Harvard, uh, which are very predisposed not to be uh, pro-life. And, um, and uh, I, just, I just can't uh, tell you how much I respect Jay and appreciate his ministry and, and his knowledge of the issues uh, related to the pro-life and abortion. Uh, controversies. So be listening next week and when and next month, because like I said, we're going to be focusing on abortion the whole month for the Roe v. Wade month of January. Uh, Jay Watts is going to be kicking off, and I've got some stellar guests very lined up. You're you're not going to want to miss it. But to get back to what we we're talking about, you were talking about having a knowledge of God and how important that is. And one aspect of that I think that's really important is that. When we go to the book of Genesis, we read about Jacob wanting to uh, marry Rachel, and he does his seven years' worth of work, and then he takes his wife, and he goes to the bedroom, and he wakes up the next morning, and, whoa, it's Leah. It's not Rachel. And you think, geez, just imagine how different 
Jacob's life would have been if he just checked beforehand to see who he was getting into bed with that night. And the analogy I make with that is we call people into a covenant relationship with God, and we don't tell them enough about who the person is that they're getting into bed with is. We don't let them know who this God is that they're supposed to be coming and worshiping. And how can we really worship God the way we should if we don't really know who he is? Exactly. Um, and, and the word God mm-hmm. has so many different meanings to different people in, in, in our culture today. Uh, you know, um, for years, when I, when I, was, a, when I was a child, uh, we lived next door to a Mormon bishop. And, and nobody in our family, uh, for the two years we lived there, really understood what Mormonism is because mm-hmm. they... Um, they used our vocabulary, but their dictionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they both said, well, we believe Jesus is the Savior. We do too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we believe he was uh, uh, raised. We do too. Um, that sort of thing. Um, we, we believe in missions. We do too. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, they, and they, they seem to share our, our values as far as uh, uh, morality and and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so we just sort of, you know, my parents, and of course we were children, my brother and I just thought, well, you know, they, they just go to a different Christian church than we do. Um, not, you know, not remotely the same. Uh, you know, Jesus and Lucifer were, were brothers in Mormonism. God is an exalted man. He has a body. He has a wife. These sorts of things. Um, uh, you know, the God of Christianity is not even dating, much less married. Um, mm-hmm. so, so obviously, or the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, or the Unitarians, uh, and, and so forth and so on. So simply saying, do you believe in God, is is not enough. James tells us that uh, you believe in God, the demons do also, mm-hmm. and they tremble. Um, you know, so obviously... Uh, we do need to speak clearly. Mm-hmm. We need to communicate more fully than we have done mm-hmm. in the past. And, and it may have been, been in the 40s, 50s, 60s, maybe there was a shared general consensus about who God was, who Jesus was. Well, if that was the case, and I'm suspicious that it's never really been the case, yeah. uh, but if that was the case, uh, it's no longer the case today. And so uh, uh, you, you may be dealing with a Mormon or or a New Ager, or a Muslim, or a, or a Unitarian, or a JW, that, that sort of thing. Um, and you just have to make it clear uh, who, who it is that you're talking about and, and what it is that you're asking people to do when you evangelize. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not simply getting to have them punched. It it also helps us a lot in our personal lives because one of the main things that gets people to possibly as well is the problem of evil. And if you have a good doctrine of God, a good solid doctrine of God in advance before personal tragedy strikes, and it's still going to be hard, it's still going to be difficult, there's still going to be emotional upheavals and things like that, there could still be times of doubt and fear. But it's going to be a whole lot easier to handle that. 
That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the problem of evil is a perennial problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody suffers. Uh, some suffer more than others. Uh, some suffer more dramatically than others. Uh, but, but no life is without suffering. And, um, and you know, I, I do think that, that uh, having a good grasp on the nature and character of God, on the purposes of God, on what the Bible does teach and doesn't teach, uh, is, is very important and, uh, and uh, will get you through those, those difficult times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people don't, you know, some people suffer and don't uh, question God. Some people suffer and do question God. One of the things I've had to learn as a pastor uh, through the years is that um, mm-hmm. it's when someone is actually wanting an answer uh, in trials and when somebody is actually wanting personal support and comfort. Mm-hmm. And, and if you if you misread the situation, if they're if they're only asking for uh, an arm uh, to to have an arm put around them, or someone to pray with them and to lean lean on and to say, I, I know how you feel, uh, and you go into some abstract uh, defense uh, related to the problem of evil, uh, you've misread the, the situation pastorally. But if if they're asking for answers, and all you do is say, well, let's pray, and, and uh, I'll be thinking about you, and I know how you feel, then you're also misreading the situation pastorally. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes people want both. Uh, so uh, the problem of evil is, is really a, an issue that connects not only the head but the heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, people not only ask why, they also ask why me. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and so it, it really is one of those uh, rubber meets the road uh, kind of apologetic issues. And that's one of the reasons that uh, for all of our apologetics degrees uh, at the seminary, all of our master's degrees, uh, we require the problem of evil for the degree. Mm-hmm. It's not something that's an elective. It's required. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there you go. Yeah, and for those people who do want to have an exciting worship experience, and that really should be all of us to an extent, depending on what we mean by exciting. It's really going to be much easier to do when the the idea of who you're with packs some punch to it, has some content to it. If you've got a Jesus who's just there for you, and it's all about you entirely, where that's mm-hmm nice to have, but it's not necessarily someone worthy of worship. If you have one who's a sovereign king of the universe, who's defeating evil and who will be your judge one day, yeah, that's someone you might want to take a bit seriously. Right. Mm-hmm. I agree. Now, you've talked... Yeah, so Go on. I think, our, I think our goal in worship should not be to be exciting, but to be authentic. Yeah. And, uh, to be true, um, you know, Jesus said, "Those who worship must worship in spirit and truth." Mm-hmm. Uh, You've got to have both, yeah. uh, and, and we know that we get spirit and truth from God's word, mm-hmm. from faithfully teaching it. Uh, but we also know that uh, that the Bible is a book that we read, that uh, 
that has to be um, interpreted and understood and, and applied correctly. Yeah, it's it comes back down. I think also some of what we're talking about with the, the way people learn. It could just as well be applied to the way people worship. Because my wife, for instance, she's a fielder, goes with church service. She will really get into the music a lot. And our church plays great music. The band is wonderful. But for me, one of my favorite lines can right here can you may now be seated. Because now it's okay, we're getting into a sermon and that's the part that I like the most the the songs that would in fact move me the most are for instance if we sing Holy, 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 it's got darn good theology in there right. or over Christmas we've sung every now and Mary did you know and there's a lot of theology in that one like the child being the great I am and statements like that and for me that's when it clicks intellectually I'd get I mean the worship level I think Ari would get out of being in a praise service and hearing the band play and singing the songs is what I'd get out of reading a really good book on theology and doctrinal apologetics and getting so many new insights out of it that people just have different worship styles just like they have different learning styles. I agree. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, and one's not better than the other. Right. Uh, but, but all of us think, feel, and do. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It's not... It's not like there's there are people out there who don't feel, who don't think, who don't do anything, mm -hmm. uh, who who don't have any goals at all, um, that don't prioritize one thing as being more important than another. Uh, we all do those things, uh, but we do do them uh, in different ways, and certain personality types will. Uh, do more of one than the other and prioritize one mm -hmm. over the others. And um, But if we want to uh, train people to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to train them holistically. That's why the great commandment is to love God with everything that you all are, your, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Um, every part of who you are is to be brought into submission uh, to the Lordship of Jesus. Now, uh, you've been talking about the projects, programs you have at New Orleans Baptist, and the mm -hmm. sad thing is, I'm suspecting amongst seminaries for the most part, you're a rarity. I mean, when I went to Bible college, for instance, there wasn't even a required apologetics course, and I still go down there every now and then, talk with old professors, and check out the library and such, and I was talking with one of my professors, and he was asking me where I thought about it. I said, I think that he said, did you have an apologetics course when you were here? I said, yeah, I took one. And he said, and it wasn't mandatory? He said, no, it, it wasn't. He said, what do you think about that? I said, I think it has to be mandatory now for every student. Every student should have at least one course on apologetics under their belt. I do think that. Um, fortunately, that's not the way it is in most seminaries yeah. or Bible colleges. Um, you know, earlier I said I think it's, I think if a pastor, a ministry leader is not trained, uh, even just your average Christian, if, if, if you're a Christian and, and you don't have some training in apologetics, I think you're just being uh, irresponsible mm -hmm. and, uh, and unwise. Um, now, I would say uh, 
academic seminaries and Bible colleges are taking this much more seriously uh, today than we have in the past. Um, I, I think we have great programs at places like Biola and Southern Evangelical uh, who have gotten on the train a lot earlier. Uh, Liberty uh, University does a great job in this regard. Uh, I think we're doing a great job for, for where we are and who we are. Uh, we, we have 80 majors in apologetics. Uh, we want more. Uh, we, we want uh, more majors. We want more faculty. We want more courses and so forth. Uh, but um, you know, 80 is a good start mm-hmm. uh, of students that, uh, that have come and, and are doing specifically apologetics degrees. And that, that doesn't say anything at all about the student uh, who dabbles in it or, or will go on and get a graduate certificate. Uh, uh, we have um, a graduate certificate that's an 18-hour uh, certificate uh, that students could earn. And one of the ways they could earn it uh, is uh, simply come to three Defend the Faith conferences, take six hours to reach one, and um, after you've done that coursework, then you would have uh, your grad certificate. So I, I do think uh, all uh, evangelical schools are taking this more seriously today. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's still a long way to go. Yeah. Why do you think we've been neglecting this for so long? Well, um, I think we've neglected it for so long because we've been sort of uh, isolated, compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. Uh, that um, One of the mistakes that I think we have made as churches more than seminaries um, is that we've been pretty pleased if we could fill up our buildings. And that's, that's confused. Um, filling up your building and building a bigger building it is not the goal. Reaching the world is the goal. Uh, now, obviously, our buildings will be full if we're doing an effective job of reaching the world. Um, but we get comfortable, and, and we think that uh, when there's an exciting service, when there's a full room, uh, when we're bigger than we were the year before, then we must be doing everything right. And if, if we're growing, uh, what, could we, what could we possibly be doing wrong? Well, growth can come in for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, growth can come simply because your area is growing. Uh, I pastored a fast-growing church in Texas many years ago uh, when I was a master's student in seminary. Uh, the area was growing. Uh, we, we probably weren't reaching any higher percentage of the people than we had been when the area was not growing. Uh, but we we were deceived. Um, and so a lot of times churches uh, think if we're growing, we must be doing everything right. Well, mm-hmm. that, there's no good reason to think that. It's just a deception. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think there was a time when... Uh, when you could grow a church numerically without uh, being faithful biblically mm-hmm. uh, to train the people uh, and, and the knowledge of the Lord and, and theology and, and equipping them to give reasons for the hope that they had within. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, I think you know, we, we don't have a, a long-term view, a, a, a global enough view 
that sort of thing. So that's, uh, I think that would be a reason. Uh, I think what you were just talking about earlier in the show of Joe Osteen's church could be an example of what you were talking about. Yeah, well, I, I don't especially want want to go there. Let's just say that there are some churches that, that preach something that is more akin to New Age than the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, at this point, I would like everyone to remember that what we do here is listener supported. There's only a few days left in the year, so please consider for end of the year giving, donating something to Deeper Waters. I mean, you've heard some of the work that we're doing, including getting to go to the conference and speak here. We're a ministry on the move. We're being active, and we need your support. And with end of the year giving, you can get in that final tax deduction that you need for whatever reason by making a donation. How do you do that? You can go to our blog page at deeperwaters.wordpress.com and there you'll see a but you'll see something about how to donate to Deeper Waters. You can hit the donate button. You'll be taken to Risen Jesus's donation page. Did you go to a right spot? Yes, yes you did. That's Mike Lacona's ministry, and they uh, gather funds for us as well. And what you do is you make your donation there, and then you contact me or you contact Mike and Debbie and say, Hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters of Deeper Waters. Can you make sure that he gets it? And they will make sure that we get it. And yes, since it's done for a 501c3, you will get that tax deduction for it, and they're very faithful with the money. We get every penny, and we try and get the most out of everything that we get. And also, we got the ebooks here, the latest one, of course, is still Defining Inerrancy. There's a couple more works that's taken a bit longer to get them out there, but they're coming. I should have one out soon individually on the Apostles' Creed. And then I'm going to have a book that I've co-written with an atheist that, based on a debate we had with one another on the problem of evil. I think at this point it's going to be called God and Natural Disaster or something of that sort. And that's going to be available. Then you can go to the Amazon store from my blog page. And if you've heard about a good book on the podcast, chances are it's in our Amazon store. And if you buy from there we get a small percentage of that, and it, it, it goes to us. So that's another way you can support The best way, though, is just making a donation to us through Risen Jesus. And we really appreciate every single donation that you give us. And also, people, if you really like the podcast, please consider going to iTunes and leaving a good, positive review. It, it, it really makes my day to see one of those. Uh, uh, Dr. Stewart, do you have any cause that you would like people to donate to? Well, they can, uh, they can donate to the Institute for Christian Apologetics mm-hmm. at, uh, at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And uh, the Institute is uh, totally uh, dependent upon gifts. Uh, we don't receive any funding uh, from the seminary. Um, the seminary gives me an office, <coughs> but... Um, we're not aligned in the budget. Uh, we don't receive any Southern Baptist cooperative uh, program funds or anything like that. And uh, so we're dependent upon uh, 
on gifts and what we sell and uh, honoraria, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, we try to do a, a good job. We are a cottage industry. Uh, all of us uh, that are officers in it, uh, myself, Michael Edens, who I mentioned earlier, and Ryan Putman. Mike and Ryan are associate directors. I'm the director of the Institute. Uh, we're all professors at the seminary. Uh, we're all uh, busy people involved in, in our churches and so forth. Uh, but we do try to do it. We can't be faithful uh, with that money, and, and we are accountable uh, to it. Uh, we, we do have a process where other people watch over uh, how we spend our money. It has to be approved and run through the business office. So it's not like we're out there willy-nilly just uh, going to jazz clubs and, uh, and eating fine food in New Orleans, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, so, um, yeah, yeah, we would love uh, to partner with you in, uh, in training people to do apologetics and in engaging uh, non-believers uh, with the gospel and, uh, and, and just uh, furthering the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. What kind of impact are you seeing from the teaching that you're doing? Do, do you have students, for instance, who've learned some of this material coming back and talking about what a difference it's made in their ministries and people they've seen come to Christ, things of that sort? Sure, we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get comments regularly from students about uh, not, not, a, not a semester or a month goes by that I don't have a student email me and say, I, I, I'm really grateful that we covered this in class because I had an encounter with somebody and I was able to use this effectively. Um, and, and we have students going on to do uh, wonderful things in ministry. Um, David Platt mm-hmm. is a former student of mine who is the as the president of the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's a best-selling author. Uh, his book, Radical, uh, has sold way, way more than all the books I ever write will. Um, people like uh, Tony Morita, uh, who teaches at uh, Southeastern Seminary, is a former student of mine, Brian Putman, uh, at, uh, who's now working with me uh, at, at, at the seminary. I have students that are um, in doctoral programs and PhD programs in philosophy at the, at the top universities um, in America and, and overseas. I've got a student uh, uh, who, who's studying at St. Andrews University uh, at this point in time. Uh, um, I've got a student uh, who's at um, Rochester and, and their PhD program, a couple at Florida State. Uh, my son is at Cornell University. He never studied formally with me, but he studied with me. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we're we're seeing wonderful things happen as our students go out uh, uh, trained in apologetics. Uh, when you mentioned David Platt, I was looking up to make sure, and yeah, sure enough, it's the same one because my wife has actually read some of his books and really liked them. And just something if that's the impact we made because. People might not pick up a book on apologetics, but they will pick up a book by someone like David Platt. And if he's got a good apologetics basis, that's going to be snuck in there, as it were, somehow. Kind of like reading, say, The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. 
Well, David David does have a, a good apologetics foundation, mm-hmm. and he uh, uh, we actually served on staff together at at, uh, at a church in New Orleans prior to the church I'm serving now, and uh, we preached through a series of sermons. Or we we were in this series of sermons when Katrina came calling called Evangelics. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was um, blending together evangelism and apologetics and showing how the two uh, related uh, to one another. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, David is a very bright young man, very passionate young man. Uh, God is using him in tremendous ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, But, uh, yeah, he, he absolutely buys into the importance of, of apologetics for missions and evangelism. Which is what makes it so great because he is reading these books that are actually on the front shelves at Christian bookstores. And when those books are on the front shelves of Christian bookstores, that doesn't make me sick to my stomach when I walk in the door. <laughs> well, there you go. Mm-hmm. You know, with everything that's been going on here, we're seeing conferences come up. We're seeing more and more seminaries learning about this kind of thing. And then we got more and more popular apologetics books. Every now and then I, I get more and more convinced as we go on that we could be very much, very near to a golden age of apologetics. What do you think about that? I think, I think that's probably true in, mm-hmm. in some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, we have tremendous apologists working uh, today, um, we have people like William Ray Craig, people like Alton Plantinga, people like N.T. Wright. Now, Plantinga and Wright are not first and foremost apologists by training, but their work has apologetic value and is used uh, specifically in apologetics. Uh, we have people like Gary Habermas. Um, in fact, uh, Doug Guybet and I are uh, co-editors of a dictionary of Christian apologists that will be coming out uh, in about three years uh, with Blackwell, uh, Wiley Blackwell, which is one of the top publishers. And um, <clears throat> and it, it's not a dictionary of Christian apologetics. We have um, several of them out, and, and, and they're worthwhile. But it, it is going to be a dictionary of Christian apologists it is the people who made the history, and we have a great history throughout Christian history. Mm-hmm. And it's actually going to be titled Dictionary of Christian Apologists and Their Critics. And so it's going to feature around 325 historical figures, that, um, uh, and we're going to have essays written by world-class scholars. Uh, we've got world-class scholars as our associate editors, uh, uh, Craig Evans and Stephen Davis, and uh, and others um, that are top scholars in, in certain areas that are giving us advice as we move forward with this uh, publication. And uh, and so we're going to begin with Jesus and, and move on up uh, to the present time. And um, and so I, I do think we're doing uh, we're we're seeing some spectacularly well done apologetics. Uh, these days, um, and uh, but the question in my mind is, how well is the average Christian trained apologetically? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And um, I think when, when we see the average Christian well-trained, apologetically, that will be the golden age. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're doing maybe we're doing a better job today than we have in the past. Uh, maybe we're doing a better job today because we need to do a better job. Uh, but, but I don't think we can rest on our laurels. I think we need to build on what we're doing and have done. And um, mm-hmm. and and I, I think that that may involve uh, rethinking how theological education is done in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe remaking how church is done in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, could it be a golden age? Well, maybe it's a golden age to date. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if it's a golden age per se. Um, you know. So, I'm grateful for progress that's been made. I see more what needs to be done. Oh, definitely. And on the same envo, also. When we look at the numerous objections that are coming up, such as the new atheism going popular, Islam cults being out there, and then even crazy ideas like Christ mythicism and such, some people could look at that and say, what's going on with this? How can we be on a golden age of apologetics if these are rising up? And my response has always been, these are gifts to the church right here. Because as soon as these issues are raised on a popular level, we get to answer them on a popular level. And that just further equips us. And when we see what what so many of our opponents are believing these days on the Internet, just believing it blindly, as far as I'm concerned, they're damaging their own cause more and more, and we can corner the academic market in the future. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that one of the things... I think it's situation is dire here in America and in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some things that give me some hope. Uh, that doesn't mean that I, mm-hmm. uh, that, I, that I have, that I'm some sort of Pollyanna that, that doesn't have my eyes open to, to the mm-hmm. trends as, as for the near future. But one of the things that gives me hope long term uh, is, is the homeschooling uh, the Christian homeschooling movement, which is training uh, people in, in great text, in logic, in languages, these sorts of things. Uh, it, it's remarkable how many of, of the National Spelling Bee winners in recent years have been homeschooled. And, and those are the geeks of geeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so that's, that's an encouraging thing to me. Another thing that is encouraging is that Christians are having babies and adopting babies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and where the non-Christians, the secularists and the pagans are not. And, uh, uh, but it's incumbent upon us to train the babies that we're having and adopting uh, in the Lord, uh, to build them up intellectually to where they can, can uh, withstand uh, the pressures. Mm-hmm. And then, Another, another thing that I think we, we absolutely need to do is uh, we need to take back to institutions or, or to mm-hmm. areas. Uh, we need to take education back. Mm-hmm. And, then, and more than that, we need to take Hollywood back. Oh, yeah. Uh, because, uh, because the storytellers are the people that, 
genuinely and, and fundamentally shape the imagination. And as Pascal said, uh, imagination and reason are often in tension, uh, but uh, when there is tension, most of the time imagination wins out. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I think I think the battle has to be fought on a number of fronts. It, it's not as simple as train as many people on apologetics as you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so training people on apologetics is not going to be sufficient, but it is going to be necessary. And when you talk about uh, the Hollywood aspect. We, we simply have to be doing a lot better, Chris. Too many movies that we see that are Christian, they are just as cheesy as you can get a lot of times and as boring as you can get. I mean, the only reason people go see them a lot of times is because they have Christian in their name somehow. Now, I, I do think a movie like God's Not Dead was a step forward in the right direction, though. Yeah, um... I saw a movie recently, the name is escaping me, it, it had Reese Witherspoon in it, uh, it was about um, it was about uh, survivors of death camps in Africa, um, which was just a, a fabulous Christian witness, without trying to be, um, uh, but these, these were Christian Africans um, who uh, by luck of the lottery, oh, it's, it's entitled The Good Lie, The mm-hmm. Good Lie. And uh, that's, the, that's the kind of movie that we really need uh, to see uh, made these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we are seeing some things happen, but, but um, you know, we just need to engage the arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and we need to uh, we need to train people apologetically, but that's only stage one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do get great helps with the people being trained apologetically because you talked earlier in the show about seeing me working in the Christian Apologetics Alliance, and that's a group on Facebook. If you're on Facebook and you're into Christian apologetics, join the alliance, please. But when we look at the members there, and we've got over... 1,500 members, and to me, that that just gives great hope, because we can all come together, we can build one another up, we can share one another's work, things of that sort, and it just shows me we're on the rise. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, and I, I, think, I think it bears out also in things like Rashio Christie mm-hmm. or Bill Craig's um, uh, Reasonable Faith chapters that we're seeing uh, local uh, apologetics ministries uh, spring up. We're seeing them on university campuses, uh, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, we're doing some good things. Uh, mm-hmm. The challenge is great, uh, but, but we are, uh, at least some of us are responding. Do you suspect that as this goes on, we're going to see more seminaries and Bible colleges having apologetics courses, and we're going to see more conferences rising up besides Defend the Faith and other conferences that we see? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm really stunned that, um, that people haven't copied what we're doing at Defend the Faith. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I, 
I, I frankly think it's the best apologetics conference in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in part because it's different than anything else. Uh, we we have five days. Uh, we have it starts at eight in the morning and goes until nine at night, and we break for lunch and we you know we have some downtime. But um, it's a lot of teaching and it's affordable. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you come, if you're in college, there is no conference registration fee. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can we can put you up uh, for two hundred dollars a week for meals and uh, and lodging. Um, you can't be done with a stick. Uh, mm-hmm. I, w- I taught it uh, at a very uh, well respected, and it ought to be a very well respected conference in, at Oxford University in 2005 that was six days long, but didn't have as many breakouts as, as, as we do. And it, and the cost was uh, over $2,000 just for the registration mm-hmm. um, before, you know, so you had to get to England, then you had to, um, you know, then it was, you know, nearly $3,000 for the conference and meals and lodging. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you pay, uh, you know, 200 or 320 or something like that, and come come to New Orleans and get a get a full week of world class teaching. Um, I don't see how you can beat that with a stick. And you know, and I hope people will copy us. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. It's not that I don't want people to copy us. Yeah. When we do something well, I want it, I want it to be copied. This is this is not a new cue of New Orleans Baptist Seminary. Uh, we are partners with the great programs at, at Biola and Southern Evangelical and Houston Baptist and, mm-hmm. and anybody else out there. Uh, you know, we 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 you know we want Summit Ministries to prosper and thrive. Uh, we want Risen Jesus to prosper. I want Reasonable Faith and Rashio Christie uh, to thrive. Uh, I want Robbie Zacharias mm. uh, to reach more and more people, and so forth and so on. Uh, the, the, the challenge is too great uh, mm. for us to be parochial. Mm. And, uh, you know, so I, I see all these other uh, ministries and, and schools not as, not as competitors, but as partners. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's, that's just my look at it. And for those of us who are active in this field, like yourself and Mike and myself, and people might not realize it, but we actually really love what we do. And I was thinking that if I sit down on a plane and the person next to me starts talking to me, I'm on my way to New Orleans, and they say, business or pleasure, I'll be able to say both. Right, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, 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 would, I would say this as well. Uh, I'm grateful for people like Gary Habermas who invested in, in Michael Lacona. Mm-hmm. And I know Bill Craig has invested in Mike as, as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just grateful for, um, you know, people like James Walker and, and, and uh, and the success and growth of Watchman Fellowship and the people that, that he has touched. Um, and, you know, just there are people out there, Craig Hazen, how, how many people 
has his program reached. And so and uh, and I'm excited when I see things like Arashio uh, Christie and, mm-hmm. and the work that's uh, that's being done there. And um, yeah, so these are these are opportunities that, that we don't want to miss. And that brings up something that we have to be doing also to keep this going. You were saying that you're grateful for the work that Gary Habermas has done in working with Mike Lacona and building him up to where he is right now. And then, in turn, as people can imagine, Mike invests a lot in me. And I've been invested in by several others. And I, in turn, have gone now and look to others that I see that are just starting to come up in the field and need some help and said, okay, I'm going to invest in you also. And if you look at the podcast schedule where I got, you'll see some names on there that aren't exactly big names yet, but I'm trying to say these are people to keep an eye on. They're on the rise. Be watching for Absolutely. them. They're going to be great names someday, and they need to get to get out there just as much, and I want my show to promote not only those who have already made it in the field, who are successful, who are well-known, but those who deserve to be as well. Right, right. Yeah, we we have people like, say, like uh, Ben Arbor, mm-hmm. who will be teaching at, uh, at Defend the Faith, just a brilliant young philosopher, uh, just finished his uh, dissertation at... Uh, School Oliver Crisp used to teach at Bristol in England. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just he's going to do fabulous things in philosophy, particularly philosophy of religion. Uh, who is just a, a dedicated, a strong, passionate believer, and uh, and you know, I, I think the same thing's going to happen with a number of my students and my son. Mm-hmm. That um, that they're going to, you know, they're getting world class degrees. And, and they're doing world-class class work as well. So um, good things are happening. Are, are happening. One of the things that we're just going to happen at um, at Defend the Faith is we're going to have a special track that um, trains uh, Rashio Christie people in particular. It's not only limited to Rashio Christie, but Tim McGrew and Tom Gilson in particular are going to teach. Uh, on, on how to do apologetics, how to become an apologist, uh, per se. And also, uh, James Walker will be speaking. I don't know if you know who James is. James is the president of Watchman Fellowship. Mm-hmm. He's a former fourth-generation Mormon. And uh, Watchman Fellowship was founded by David Hinkey and, and was a relatively small ministry in Florida and uh, or Georgia. And uh, David was able to help James after James was converted out of Mormonism. He was just sort of drifting around, and and uh, he, he will tell you he wasn't fully able to uh, clear out, okay, where did I learn that idea? Is that a Mormon idea? Is that a Christian idea? Is that a Mormon idea that's consistent with Christianity, or is it a Mormon idea that's not consistent with Christianity? You know, that sort of thing going on in his mind, which is frequently the case when, uh, when people are converted out of... Uh, out of counterfeit Christian movements or cults. Mm-hmm. And um, so he benefited from it. Well, then he went on to uh, Criswell College in, in Dallas as an MA student. And uh, 
and he had a class where he had to have some sort of project, evangelistic project, and so he began a chapter of Watchman Fellowship. So now James, you know, they, he's built it up. They have, they have uh, really nice offices. They have multiple staff people. They have multiple uh, offices all over the United States. He's, he's traveled the world. He's, he's spoken uh, all over the world, preached in, in the largest churches, you know, at B. James Kennedy's church, at Falwell's church, at, uh, at First Baptist Church in Dallas, and these sorts of things, and, you know, uh, debated people from other religions, and just had a wonderful ministry. Mm-hmm. Well, here's a guy that knows how to build the, the organization of a ministry. So we're going to have him sharing uh, some of these, these ideas as well, because I know we have young people who are coming to this conference as students who are coming, they want to know, uh, how do I become an apologist? How, 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 if I am an apologist, maybe I'm struggling. How can I make my ministry grow? And then what's the right kind of healthy growth, not just, not just financial growth, not just organizational growth, but the right kind of growth? And so we will have people like James Walker also teaching specifically in this regard, not simply on... Uh, here's how you respond to this Mormon challenge. Here's how you respond to this atheist challenge. Mm-hmm. Apologetics is a lot more than knowing answers. Yeah. And um, and so that that part will not be neglected at the Defend the Faith conference uh, in two weeks. Yeah, I can say James Walker. I know about him, but I haven't got to interact with him, and he hasn't been on the show yet. Tim McGrew and Tom Garrison, Paco Pan and Gary Habermas. Yeah, they have been. And for listeners of the show, you can strongly suspect that probably after the conference, you could start seeing some people that were there at the conference showing up on the Deeper Waters podcast. That, that's at least my hope at this point. But I plan on meeting a lot of these people and saying, hey, yeah, would you like to come on the show as well? But some of the people that are at the conference, yeah, you would have you would have already seen them on the show. Uh, like Tim McGrew, Tom Gerson, Gary Habermas, and Paco Panic like we mentioned that main ones I can think of right now, and okay. some hopefully we'll get on there. Well, I'm sure that you'll have some. I'll, I'll join you in twisting their arms to get them on. Yeah, we're getting into, we got for about 10 minutes or so, so let's start uh, giving some details in advance. Now, if people want to come to this conference, the Defender Faith Conference, okay, it's nearly two weeks away. Is it too late for them to book for an, an entry there? No, it's not at all too late. Uh, they can go to um, defendthefaith.net or to nobtsapologetics.com. Or if they just go to the seminary website, nobts.edu, um, they'll, they'll see directions to it. And they can go online, and there's a green register button, mm-hmm. and they can register. And they'll see about discounts and scholarships. Mm. Um, like I said, for college students, uh, the price of registration is waived. That's $120. If you're a seminary student, it's $120. If you're a pastor, but if you're a college student, uh, we will waive it. Uh, and uh, and then we also uh, offer additional scholarships to Rosio Christie students and. Uh, 
and then if you want the, the meals package, uh, dorm housing and 13 meals, that's $200, which is a great deal. Uh, and then there's one meal of the week that we eat out on the town, and so you do need to come prepared to, to eat out. But everybody, when they come to New Orleans, they want to eat the food mm -hmm. uh, at least one night. So, um, But you can go to defendthefaith.net and... Uh, and, uh, and you, can, you can find registration options there. And how about New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary? If someone's interested in getting their education there, what do they do? Uh, well, this is, this is a wonderful thing. Uh, our uh, student enlistment will bring you to campus and uh, or, or pay, uh, put you up on campus and so forth. Uh, of course, that's one of the things that Defend the Faith does. That's how we can waive the fees is that we gain prospective students through Defend the Faith. Uh, but anyway, uh, contact uh, nobts.edu. Uh, nobts, like New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, .edu. Mm -hmm. and, then, uh, and then you can contact. Uh, go, to, go to the contact link. And you'll see Office of Student Enlistment. Uh, if you want just email them directly, you can say what's left at nobts.edu. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and let them let them know that you're interested, and we'll put the wheels in motion, and uh, and we'll make it affordable and reasonable for you to visit. Um, one of the things that I really like about uh, about New Orleans Seminary, and I'm not just saying this because I teach there. Uh, I was a student at, at other seminaries. I'm not a New Orleans graduate. I went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I went to Bright Divinity School, uh, University of Texas in Arlington, and so forth. Um, one of the things that, that I really appreciate about our seminary is that uh, a number of our faculty live on campus with the students. Uh, and a number, and we don't have a faculty lounge. So, if if faculty want to drink coffee and iced tea, they go to the same coffee shop that the students do. We're very accessible and uh, very much a relational sort of seminary. Mm -hmm. And uh, and a number of our faculty also are bivocational pastors. Um, you know, the little church that I pastor. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. If someone wants to graduate from there, do you also have distance learning available? Yes, we do. Um, we have uh, degrees in apologetics that, that are non-residential. Now, we do not have a degree at this point in time in apologetics that can be earned entirely online. It can be earned online, however, both of our MAs or our MDiv, <coughs> excuse me, in the uh, Christian apologetics can be earned online and by coming to the Ten Faith. Um, so it doesn't have to be done residentially. I, I would say that I do think the best education is still residential education. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, if you pastor, that's a relational uh, ministry. Uh, if the Christian life uh, is is a relationship. Uh, with Jesus Christ, um, it's one of trust and faith and commitment. Uh, it's not just a feeling. It's not just a prayer. 
Um, but um, and so I do think it's important to have uh, real life uh, breathing relationships with the people uh, that teach you. Um, the internet's a wonderful thing, uh, but the internet is not relational. And there's more to uh, there's more to education than the transmission of information. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the great things about our apologetics program is that, uh, that we engage students in doing apologetics while they're here at the seminary. We actually require a uh, practicum in apologetics. Um, it may be uh, it may be organizing a conference. It may be teaching a series of uh, lessons in your local congregation. Um, it may be doing a mission trip. Um, you know, we've done evangelistic mission trips, say, like to Utah, uh, to witness the Mormons, so forth and so on. We've, we've done evangelistic and mission trips to the Middle East, uh, to Iraq and Egypt and so forth, and other places, China, um, different countries, um, places that we can't say where we went, um, that sort of thing. And, um, and then also, our students can help and, and be workers in presenting Defend the Faith and Greer Herd and so forth. So most weeks I will have a weekly lunch meeting with volunteers, mainly students, to talk about uh, how we're going to do Defend the Faith, how we're going to uh, do Greer Herd. And, uh, and so that they actually get in, involved and, and um, you know, and so maybe their job would be take William Wayne Craig up at the airport or uh, take him to dinner or um, work, the, work the sales table at the conference or reproduce the CDs or the DVDs and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a chance not only to study apologetics but to engage in it and to work with your professors and teachers. Where we're getting a point in time where we need to be wrapping things up here, unfortunately. Uh, do you have a uh, website or a blog or way people can get in touch with you if they want to find out more about you? Yes, um, they can go to um, they can go to the seminary webpage and uh, click on academics and then faculty, and uh, and they can pull pull me up. They can they can see my uh, my resume. It may be a little bit dated, uh, but uh, important stuff is going to be on there. Um, we actually uh, have a an online apologetics magazine called Defend Mag, and uh, that's Defend in the first three letters of magazine, uh, and defendmag.com, and uh, and that's that's good. Uh, we we have stuff on there from uh, uh, people like Doug Brodheis, people like Paul Copan, and uh, Nancy uh, Piercy, and so forth. And, uh, and you know, so that's 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 a that's a relatively new uh, project that we're doing, and it's basically my wife and, and me that are doing this. And uh, there you go. So I guess that's who I am. And do you have any final message you'd like to leave for the Deeper Waters audience today? Well, I'm, I'm grateful that they're listening to apologetics. And uh, and I, I would I would just want to encourage them uh, in their in their growth in, in the Lord in, in their ministry training. Uh, if they're thinking about a, a 
degree in apologetics, I would hope that they would at least uh, uh, contact us and, and see what we have to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think everybody ought to come to uh, New Orleans Seminary. I think there are wonderful ministries out there that do a wonderful job. Um, but I'm not neutral. Uh, I do hope that at least some of them will not only check us out, but uh, come and study with us, uh, come to our Defend the Faith conferences, come to our Greer Herd forums, and, and that sort of thing. And, um, and I just pray that God will use them for His honor and glory. Well, Dr. Stewart, it's been great having you here on the Deeper Waters podcast, and I hope we'll see you again sometime. All right, Nick. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person in about mm. what, 10 or 12 days. Yep, looking forward to meeting you too, and I hope I'll see the rest of you out there at the conference as well. And remember, next week we're going to have Jay Watts starting us off with our month on abortion. And we're talking about the pro life position. Mm-hmm.